On today's episode, we talk about the word steward. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Before we get started in today's topic, let me remind you to go and check out EdenHollow.com. This is the company I started to start publishing some Bible study guides and spiritual books, but we're starting to branch out into some fiction and even talking to some other authors. We'd love to have you check out what's going on at EdenHollow.com. Now let's jump into today's episode. I'm excited to have Bobby Blackburn join me today as we talk about the word steward. Bobby lives in White House, Tennessee, which is just north of Nashville. He's married to Mandy, and they have four kids. Uh, He started preaching straight out of college, which he graduated with a biblical studies degree. But right out of college, he also started doing some work with nonprofits, and he has a passion for working with nonprofits. He preached for 22 years, but now works for Thrivent Financial as a financial advisor, and dreams of being able to help nonprofits grow and really put his effort and energy into that side of the financial world. So when it came to talking about stewardship, of course, Bobby Blackburn came to my mind, and I'm super excited to have him teach us today what we can understand about this great concept from God's Word. Let's jump right in. Our topic of the day, which is the word steward, Uh, That's not a word we use a lot in our modern-day English language. Uh, Let's begin there. How would you define the word steward? For me, it's real easy. Uh, It's just a manager. So if I put you as a steward over something, you're taking care of it for me. Okay. A manager of something for someone else. So how would the Bible use that term? Um, The Bible uses it in a lot of different ways. My favorite illustration of a steward is in Luke 16, in a story that everybody just kind of uh, at least for a long time I did, most people will kind of leave Luke 16 and, and leave scratching their head uh, about the parable of what's often called the unjust steward. Um, but Jesus says at the end of that one, if you don't, um, if you're not going to learn the lesson here about uh, physical things, you won't understand about spiritual things. And so that's a, if you're looking to stretch yourself some and really dig, um, there's a lot of, uh, so there's one big lesson out of it, but several other applications that come out of Luke 16 when you start talking about what is a steward and and what uh, is he praised for and you know that sort of thing. So the Bible uses the word steward in a couple of different places, but that's one. Luke 16. Let's go ahead and read that. I'm going to read the verse one all the way down through verse 10. Now he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possession. So he called the manager in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to him, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. 
So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write fifty. Next, he asked another. How much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he said to him, and write eighty. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. And for me, it was it was a hard time thinking, you know, man, here's this guy that uh, he's being called into account and is about to lose his job. Uh, and I think he's probably about 45 or 46. So he says, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to pay. <laughs> because you feel uh, you feel about a certain age in life where you're like, oh, I don't want I don't want to dig anymore. Or, um, and I've made it so far in life. I should be beyond a couple of things. And you can tell that, that life has kind of gotten to him a little bit, regardless of what his age is. Uh, but he knows that he's got to do something. And if he's going to lose this job, where is he going to go next? And so suddenly you can see that he is, he's not, um, he's not a stupid person. Uh, it's that, not that there's no savvy, but that he's just hasn't been managing what he's been given properly. So that's, that's number one. But then the second thing that you see is that he is a debt collector. So in verse five, it said, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. And so what we don't get maybe in our culture, unless you're specifically a debt collector, is that debt collectors generally, there's some margin there, I guess, that between the interest that is paid and also the commission that might be paid uh, to this person that's collecting the debt, it may not be that there would be, you know, in verse, verse six, you used a different translation than I did, but mine says 900 gallons of olive oil, whatever it would be. Um, and he said, how much do you owe uh, 900 gallons? And he goes, just just write down 450. Just mark it in half. I'll give you a discount. Well, it may be that the person who borrowed it uh, or that owed that much oil may have settled, may have said, I'll pay you 600. But now the interest has gone up. Plus, the manager is going to get his cut. And so he's taking all that out. And at least the owner or the master of the business is going to get back something where before he didn't have anything. And so then he'll go to the next person. You owe a thousand bushels of wheat. Just just make it eight hundred. I'd rather show up with something than show up with nothing because right now I got a whole lot of nothing. And so he commends him for being this the dishonest manager or dishonest steward because he had acted shrewdly. And the point is that he had been trying to to fill up something that wasn't filling up. And so now he's like, look. Let me just cut off my losses and, and bring up something in and do something with it, even though it may not have been it turned out exactly the way I wanted to. I can please my master and maybe keep my job. But even if I don't, I can now have something that I've invested in other people because, I mean, Adam, if you're like me, at some point along the way in your life, you've had a bill, right? Wouldn't you like it if someone said, hey, let me cut this in half for you? I think even the best of us may have along the way had something go to collections, whether on purpose or not, or what have you. And to have someone call you and say, listen, you owe this much. Let me cut that in half. Just get it paid. You feel a little bit better about that, even though you may be, well, I wish I could have paid the whole, whole lot. The whole point here is that at the time that the master came to him, 
he wasn't trustworthy because he wasn't getting done what he should have done. He wasn't even coming close. And now that there's pressure applied and now that he's going to be held accountable, he's now kicked back into that management mode and gets something done. And he's somewhat pleasing to the master in verse 8 because he commended him. You brought something in. And so the lesson then is I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so the point is that when you're being entrusted with physical things, know that they have spiritual ramifications to us. When you're given something to use, whether it's $5, $50, or $5 million, big or little, when God gives something to you, you have to manage that for the betterment rather than thinking about how can I use this simply for me? How can I please my master and also do well for other people? And I think that gets lost in this mess. Now, I want to be careful uh, about this because I think sometimes people will get to this point and then they take it and start stretching it into a prosperity gospel. And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't want to hint, even hint at that, Adam. And I, don't, and I don't think you do either. But I do think that there is something to be said for God is showing us a lesson that when we take something small and we're trustworthy with it, that there are other times where we're going to be given more. And it can be something very simple where you're entrusted uh, with your wife. You, She trusted you with, at some point, she trusted you with a little bit of an association. And then she trusted you with a friendship. And then she trusted you with a, a dating relationship. And then she trusted you with a proposal and a marriage and kids, etc. Like, God takes those little things that we're faithful with and he blesses them. And when we don't see the connection to that with spiritual things, that there are times, whether you're a minister or whether you're sitting in the pews, that God will say, I'm going to trust you with this association with somebody. And then it's going to, it can become a friendship. And then it, become, it can become a brotherhood. And then it can become that person that's with you in the pit that needs you need to pull them out or that they need to pull you out in that spiritual, critical spiritual moment. And to me, that's what it is. Rather than just sitting and going through the motions and thinking, well, it'll be paid at some point. What God is saying here is you have to take care of those little moments in life because they're going to pay off bigger for you. And that's that's the true riches that I think that he's talking about in verse 11 and 12. Well, and I think ultimately, uh, if you take chapter 16 as a whole, the the issue is not only can you be trusted in little things, but it's back to what you said at the beginning, which is can you be trusted with spiritual things? And I don't think that it's any mistake that verse 16, 17, or 18 there are right in the middle where he talks about a marriage relationship. And I think sometimes those get plucked out and lots of lessons have been given on what exactly that means. Well, I'll tell you what, it, one thing it definitely means within its context is that you can justify yourself if you want to, but have you been faithful with that relationship that, that God gave you? And to me, that, that is especially indicting, and it's a point that may be missed. Uh, and again, that could be another rabbit to chase for a different day, but I don't think it's a mistake that, that that's there right after he says, you are the ones that seek to justify yourselves in the, in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. When it comes to stewardship, and we've talked about uh, the the physical stewardship of money. We've talked about the stewardship of relationships. Uh, how do we make sure that we are being steward-minded? 
to me, the, the next step then is if you're going to talk about stewardship, you go from uh, Luke and then you go to the parable of the talents. Um, I've got it pulled up in Matthew. Uh, in, in Matthew, what, 20, 25 and verse 14 to 30. And he talks about, okay, um, there's a man that's going on a journey and he calls his, his steward, their managers of what they've been given on behalf of someone else. He gives to one, he gives five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent. Those are sums of money. And then he goes away uh, on a journey. For me, it's number one, realizing that you're, you're entrusted with something that you're going to have to give an account for. When the rubber meets the road, you're going to have to turn that back in. You have to, with, when you stand before God, you're going to have to give an account for the things that, not just that you've done with your life, but the children that God gives you, you're going to have to turn that back in. You're, what happened there with your uh, other relationships? I think there's going to be that turning it back in. That's that's part of what judgment is. I think sometimes we see that heavy-handedness where we use the word judgment as maybe a condemnation or heavy-handedness. And I, I'm not saying that it's that way, but it's your opportunity to say, this is what I did. In my line of work, you know, on a regular basis, we get together and we give an account for what, what we've been doing. And that may be a better way of saying, here's what has happened, here's the obstacles that we went through, and here's what I've done. And so when the when he comes back, they have to settle the accounts with them. They have to say, okay, here's what we did. And I think as, as a manager, or as a steward, you have to realize that you're going to have to give an account for, for what you've been given. So that's that's first of all. So I love that idea because I, I think that is a perspective that changes a lot of things for us. We tend to be very owner focused. You know, the money I have is my money. It's my marriage. They're my children. Uh, this is my faith. You know, we, we mm -hmm. tend to be very me, me, me focused. Whereas what you're teaching here about stewardship is we need to change our perspective to everything is his, his, his. And all we are doing is enjoying the benefits of it temporarily. What I believe is the second point. He said that he's going on a journey and he's coming back. We often like to say, well, you know, God's, you know, God likes that to uh, the, the judgment where he is going to prepare a place for us and Christ will be returning for us. If you, if you know somebody's coming back, if you know you have to give an account, how hard are you going to work? I mean, think about this, Adam. If someone gave you uh, five years worth of their salary, and said, I'm going to go on this journey real quick. And when I come back, I'm expecting to see that you've done something with it. Would you be, would you be aggressive with it or would you be lax with it? I mean, it says here that they doubled the money. Now I've worked in this industry for 10 years and it takes a while. I mean, there are different rules and algorithms to doubling money. Okay. Um, but the, this is these are people that were aggressive with what they did and to me stewardship means that there are times where you need to be more aggressive and i think that that is a point that may be lost on us as christians it's like well i don't have to be as long as i show some get, do something that's got interest with it um spiritually now i'm talking i'm talking about things that are spiritual as long as i have you know, just that mono uh that little bit of one to three percent interest in my spiritual life i'm good then i don't want to push that down if that's what you can do but if you look at the people that were praised they were quote aggressive investors unquote with what god had given to them i think that there's a part of us that there may be some listeners to your podcast that are conservatives and usually people that are conservative adam are conservative they're not aggressive yeah. in the things of their life 
And, and I think that what he says is what you find in this parable of the talents is that what is praised is not just the minimum interest, but it is an aggressive use to say, I was given this, and what can I do with it for the Lord? What could I do to double this? In other words, if I was given this opportunity, what would a doubling look like? And how can I get there? So that even if I don't get there, uh, I've at least uh, got maybe a third or 50% increase on it. We don't look at our, our uh, opportunities that way. Boy, could I preach a sermon on that <laughs> if, if you turn me loose. But I do think that one of the takeaways is that whether you've got five talents, two or one, is that the expectation from the master, as admitted by the one that had one talent, was that he expected an aggressive use of the things that the managers had. And, and we make a mistake thinking that we can get away with little to no interest. Well, and I'll be honest, I think we even go to the extreme of justifying doing nothing. You know, well, we don't know that this is what God wants. Therefore, we will sit back and do nothing. And we will find every way in the world we can as, quote, conservative to never buck the system, to never take a leap, to never step out on a limb, because we don't know. Christians who do nothing are condemned. Christians who do something, uh, you know, even the, the master here tells this lazy servant, you could have at least deposited my money with the bankers. That yes. still would have been nothing on his part. Like he still would not have actually been managing the money. The bankers would have been managing it. But at least it would have been something that would have moved things forward. Sure. So, and, and I think we get ourselves in trouble where we justify doing nothing. And then we're back to what we talked about over in, in Luke 16, which is those, uh, those Pharisees who justify themselves. I, I, I agree with that. The joy of the master is going, you were faithful over a little. And I think, and you can correct me, and I'll, I'll take a, uh, you know, a chastising if I need to, but part of being faithful over that little is making a plan trying to execute something, etc. I think that the master, if you, if I'm going to give you five years wages and then go away and come back, I think that I would expect that not everything would go smoothly. And maybe that's something that is a little bit of a cushion that we can give ourselves. There's some people that don't like to talk about grace a whole lot, but um, I do think that there's some grace here that goes with the expectation of if you're going to be aggressive, there's, there's grace that goes along with that. And, you know, obviously all the caveats apply where uh, we're not going to continue and sin that grace abounds. We're not just going to go do everything willy-nilly just because we want to say that we're doing something. Obviously, we want to be open-minded. We, we don't want our brains to fall out. Um, at, but having said that, I mean, there is something to going and doing and working and figuring something out. And I think that part of being that manager is making it the best you can be. And, and, and let me put this in a different in a different light now. I enjoy going to new places to eat. I live north of Nashville, Tennessee, which is sometimes nicknamed Nashville, where you can go and eat just about whatever you wanted to. There's it, more and more people are moving here. There's all sorts of places you can go and eat. And I like to find places to go um, that may not be a chain. And you see somebody putting a lot of pride into their work. And you'll ask them, do you own this place? And they'll say, no but I love what they stand for and I love what they do and we're working on this. And so everything you do and that you get is an art form. It seems like you can taste the way that they're doing mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And, and that's something that I think is that we need to be putting into our Christian lives is saying, listen, how could I make 
my Christian life and art form uh, that I could say, this is what was given to me. I may only have that one talent, but man, I can do this well, and I want to give that to the Lord as best I can. Well, there you go, folks. You have been challenged. Can you cause your spiritual life and your faith to grow and double it the way the five-talent or the two-talent man has done? Can you be a steward of the great blessings God has given you? And he has given all of us so many good ones. We often think of stewardship almost exclusively in the sense of money. But as we've talked about on this podcast, it involves so much more. God has given us abundant and undeserved blessings, each one of us, whether that be the relationships we have in our lives, uh, that could be in reference to the money and the finances, the homes, the cars, the, the, the great things we have to enjoy in this great country of ours like freedom. Uh, there are just so many things we enjoy in this modern world. And the question becomes, are you using them for God's glory? I hope this podcast has challenged you and helped you to grow as a Christian and helped you to, to develop, because really that's what we're talking about on this podcast. Maybe this word steward means a little more to you today. I hope that you'll tune in later this week when we have another podcast about the word steward and maybe another angle to think about as we try to manage the blessings of God the best way possible. Share this podcast and leave us comments and let us know what you think. You can also leave us reviews. That's always helpful in getting the word out about preach impediments to others. Until next time.